Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Greetings to this episode of the Stargate Archives, and we're going to be looking at the very final episode of the 1995 series Legend, which stars Richard Dean Anderson and John Delancey. This week's episode is going to be Skeletons in the Closet, premiered in the US August the 8th, 1995, written by David Rich, who'd also wrote for SG-1 and MacGyver, and directed by Stephen Shaw. We're not going to mess around, we're going to jump straight in, so... Here we go, skeletons in the closet. Close up of a moving picture device, a zoetrope, I believe they were called, a rotating drum with pictures on the inside and you look through a tiny slot and you see the frames move, mimicking motion. It shows a scantily clad young woman, Ernest pops up, he's uh, enjoying the show and the professor comes along, marvelling at his ingenuity. Of course, some of the wind is taken out of his sails when Ernest recognised the young woman in the pictures as Eloise Bizarro, the local school teacher. <laughs> Janos, you little devil. You. I beg your pardon. Inviting young ladies into your domicile, promising to put them in the moving pictures. So the uh, motion picture industry and getting young women into your uh, private chambers, getting them into the movies has started off well, hasn't it? <laughs> Nothing much changed for many decades. The professor is taking none of it though, he's very proud of his uh, invention. It'll sell a lot of books, he says. Hasn't quite grasped the full significance of the motion picture industry, has he? Anyway, uh, he calls on Ramos and it looks like they've got a great big experiment going, a lot of movie cameras, or at least still cameras. I'm thinking of the Matrix bullet time. It is very similar. Okay then, let's see what the professor is up to. There's a guy in the background, dressed up as a, as a cowboy, a villain, big black moustache. Recognised Gita, obviously. <laughs> Naturally, he's playing a part. This is going to be the action-adventure in, uh, what, a dozen picture cards, where Ernest is being chased by Black Bart with dynamite. <laughs> oh, what could go wrong? Oh, <laughs> you, you've got to love John Delancey playing the professor as the director. Full of energy, full of uh, vim and vigour. In fact, he's telling, telling Ernest how the story goes, and he points out that he wrote the book. He knows what happens. His only trepidation is the explosive device. Will it be safe? Oh, don't worry, he'll only be blown into the grain sacks. Uh, I think Ernest has been rather brave and foolish. <laughs> the professor's got one of those great big megaphones as well. Silence everybody, silence everybody. I think there's only three people on the set. <laughs> okay. And action. Ernest starts running along the camera lenses. The professor is triggering each camera electronically. Flash bulbs are going off. Ramos is ready with the plunger that will detonate the dynamite. He gets to the point. Skeeter mimics throwing the dynamite stick. Kaboom! And then it flies into the air a lot further than I think he was supposed to. A lot further. Even doing a somersault on the way. And the camera looks up into the heavens. It fades to a different scene and we see somebody coming into focus very, very slowly. I do like the uh, filter the cinematographer has thrown on this image. Very ethereal. Seems suitable since the woman that's coming into view has an angelic look. And it is Laura Flynn Boyle. Yes, you know the name. 
I was very surprised when I saw her in IMDb credits, but she's pretty young here. <laughs> Ernest recognises her. Teresa Dunleavy. And she says she's always wanted him and he's always wanted her. And all he's got to do now is to die. And they can be together forever. Which seems like a good deal to Ernest. <laughs> Until we hear a little voice. The image fades and we see a very, very close-up shot of Skeeter <laughs> shouting and trying to wake Ernest up. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> yeah, Ernest wakes up and there's a skeleton arm across its chest. It looks like some sort of ring on its finger as well. And we look through and, yep, there's a skeleton in the bushes. He then takes the moment to faint. The great big hero, Nicodemus Legend, faints. Or at least Ernest does. Cue the music. And we're back. We've got high street scene, lots of children playing. Uh, we see Ramos in the steam-powered vehicle. Bell, Colorado. So we're not in Sheridan. This is interesting. Unusual to see Ramos out by himself. Obviously, uh, he's doing a must be doing some sort of work for the professor. And pulls up outside the sheriff's office. Maybe, maybe it's got something to do with the skeleton they found. Ah, yes, indeed. He's coming to town to uh, bring the skeleton, the remains, to the sheriff for an investigation. The Sheriff, played by Robert Keith, hmm, doesn't seem that impressed with Ramos or the skeleton, especially when it's mentioned that he could be Mexican or even Aztec. Got the feeling that maybe a little, uh, shall we say, uh, racial inequality when it comes to investigating the murder of certain people. Or could he be involved? That is normally the case. Yes, either the Sheriff is a racist piece of garbage, or he's involved in the murder or the death. Or both. He's definitely not a good guy, that's for sure. And we cut to the professor's laboratory. And the professor is looking at his photographs. And he's not very happy. It seems some of them are uh, too much smoke obscuring Ernest in action. And others just shows his feet going out of frame. Ernest, of course, is full of bright ideas to save the day because he does not want to get blown up again. All this time he's, he's also mixing a few chemicals and drinking the contents. I certainly hope that's alcohol. <laughs> uh, Ernest is off to a poker game anyway at the local saloon. It looks like the professor is going to have to make do. And at this point Ramos returns. Obviously a little bit upset. They query how it went with the sheriff. He vents a little and points out that he's treated this way quite a bit in the USA. But what bothers him more than anything is the fact that he can't even claim to be an expert on the history of his own people. An interesting concept, but then again, depending at this stage, how prevalent, prevalent, how numerous are the Aztec people? I mean, surely up at this point they has been swallowed up in history or via the uh, more common uh, South American nations. There's no real reason for somebody to be an expert unless that was his field of study. Either way, it bothers Ramos. The next day, we're back at the makeshift studio Director Bartok is <laughs> busy handling the uh, Calcian actors, aka Skeeter, who's making up his own lines to get into character. <laughs> uh, Bartok is not impressed. Just shoot the gun when I tell you that's all I need for you to do, and do not add these extra lines that are not written. I'm trying to get into character here. Bartok calls action, 
Ernest drives into frame. The bad guy points his gun. Ernest whips out his taser device, fires. The gun's blown out of his hand, shock and awe. Ernest, aka legend, looks uh, very smug. Cut, print. Unfortunately, it turns out that Ramos failed to load one of the cameras. It seems that uh, his mind isn't on the job at hand. His encounter with the sheriff has that's done him more harm than it seems. Even to the point where he can't even bring himself to uh, reload and start again. Something's on his mind and it's got to be addressed. He jumps in the car and drives off into the sunset. Later that night, Skeeter, the professor and Ernest arrive back at the lab. All the gear in hand. They call out to Ramos, job's done. Come on, we're going for a drink. Find a note on the desk where he says he... He can't concentrate on the job at hand, he can't give the professor the service he requires and therefore he resigns from his post. I don't think the professor is going to take this lightly. He's not going to be mad, but he's going to do something about it. And if that means solving the death of this person, the skeleton, and uh, dealing with the sheriff, then so be it. I wonder if this story was chosen to give Ramos, the character, at least a decent episode where he can be the focal point. I've got to assume at this point they knew that the show was going to be cancelled or at least not picked up for a second half of the season. Maybe this episode was originally going to be part of the second half. Of course, information about Legend, the TV series, pretty scarce. Either way, it'd be good for Mark Adair Rios to get a bit of the limelight. So, bright and early the next day, the Professor and Ernest drive into Bell, and once again we meet the Sheriff who at least is receptive to the idea that Nicodemus legend is a legend. A little bit more subservient. Still not particularly interested about the body. We get a lot of shots of the people in the background. Very attentive, very suspicious. Definitely, definitely hints of segregation. They keep their kind in the eastern part of town because they like to be with their own kind. I'll give Robert credit. He's doing possible imitation of Clint Eastwood scowly face <laughs> yeah I think the idea is you've, you've got to believe that this is a bad guy and he knows a lot more than he's uh, letting on either way he's letting Ernest do an investigation at least he's letting legend do it and we'll see how this pans out he hasn't seen Ramos though which is a bit strange either he has and something bad has happened to him or Ramos has gotten lost somewhere and I doubt that's the case Right, we fade to another scene. We see uh, a ranch. It looks reasonably prosperous. We go into the interior. There's a... Well, looks like a wealthy individual sitting behind a desk getting a report from a kind of a ranch hand. My guess is, listening to the voice, this is John Vernon. I certainly recognise him from uh, some of his TV and movie roles, but the voice is very, very familiar. This must be Seamus Calhoun. He's surrounded by artifacts, Mexican, Aztec, maybe Inca, obviously a collector, and already you think, hang on a minute, <laughs> the bad guy. Oh, hang on a minute, Ramos is in the background, doing some dusting. He's gone undercover, he's already figured out who is the bad guy, the man behind the sheriff. Picks up one of the items and this Calhoun goes a bit bananas. Orders him to put it down, only dust these items twice a day with a feather duster, never never pick them up yourself. I know you're new around here, so I'll be a little patient with you. I'm sorry, senor. It won't happen again. Fine. Now get out. Ramos, observant, uh, yes, yes, of course, uh, leaves and goes to the kitchen. 
where a young woman is preparing a meal. Even after a short time, there seems to be a spark between these two. They're playing a game <laughs> without even probably realising it. She's uh, very forceful, very strict. He's playing along, being the good houseboy, I suppose. She recognises the fact that he is not like the men she's used to. Probably the education, probably his confidence in knowing his place isn't in the gutter, like some people believe. Maria, I suppose this is Marisol Padilla Sanchez. Decent resume. Uh, she was in LA Confidential, also been in traffic. So she made a name for herself in the industry. Very pretty. She warns him against speaking Spanish in this house, English only. Calhoun has his opinions about people who were born to this land. Right, now we cut to what must be the east side of town. A little bit more run down. A lot more people about though. More of a community feel. There's women in the streets cooking. Professor and Ernest are going around with a photograph looking for a moss, asking a number of people until they get to a young boy who points them towards the cantina. Given the benefit of the doubt, and uh, he's seen Ramos there, and he's not actually chilling for his father's business. <laughs> Naturally, when the two of them walk in the door of the canteen, everything goes quiet. Uh, all the patrons turn to stare at them, and nervously they make their way to the barman, who seems unresponsive when they say that they're looking for a Mexican. You almost get the feeling that in Ernest's head he's looking around, thinking, a room full of Mexicans, Professor. <laughs> actually, we're looking for this Mexican. His name is Ramos. Cute little smile, don't you think? He shows them the picture, no response, except for the great big bowie knife that's put to his throat and the professor's. Fade to black. Oh, this is not going well. The guy with the knife starts talking. Not sure what language it is, but we're getting a translation. He believes that Ernest and the professor are bounty hunters, and he's not going to have any of them looking for his people. Gonna cut off his his, his dangly bits. <laughs> uh, at this point, helping hand is near as Ramos comes into the tavern and speaks up for his friends. And then I slowly withdrawn and throw them go elsewhere to have a talk. As they walk through the town, Ramos explains that he'd heard that Seamus Calhoun was the man to see about Aztec historical artifacts. He disguised himself as a daily labourer to get inside because. People like Calhoun didn't speak to people like him. Fortunately, he has overheard things, the fact that they're worried about uh, the Professor and Nicodemus Legend being in town. Unfortunately, they are being observed. The ranch hand that had been with Calhoun, and he's talking to a Mexican. He looks mighty suspicious, to be honest. Unkept, unshaven, dressed in black. Tells him to head south, gives him some money, some cigars. So, uh, maybe the murderer... Maybe a kidnapper, something involved with it, obviously. Don't want him around. Later that night, we're back at the Calhoun Ranch. A storm is brewing. Nicodemus goes to the front door and knocks, introduces himself, and Calhoun automatically recognises him, invites him in. Mr. Calhoun, my name is Nicodemus... Nicodemus Legend. Of course I know who you are. Please come in, sir. I think uh, since he knew he were in town, his story's uh, already prepared and ready to go. Calhoun is playing it very cool. A legend asks him to identify the ring. He says it comes from Mexico in poor condition. Seen the light before, he's got some already. He owns three examples of it. After legend explains that he came across it on another adventure. And maybe he's looking for it to be the inspiration for a new novel. Interesting, and offers Calhoun the opportunity to 
maybe a contribute to the narrative. Calhoun is impressed, probably despite himself. He must know that legend isn't there for that reason, but he's playing it very, very cool. Ramos comes in with the tea tray and is quickly dismissed by Seamus. Makes you wonder where Maria is. Obviously, we, we know from an earlier scene that uh, she's in town and she's had contact with that mysterious stranger. Either she is a lady of negotiable affection, as Terry Pratchett wrote in the Discworld novels, or she's up to something with the native population that Seamus will not enjoy. Hopefully it's the latter, because uh, Ramos took a shine to her. The two men continue to spar, both giving or taken. Seamus must believe he's conning Legend smoothly. Until finally, Legend asks the question, wouldn't it have been a bit of a coincidence if this man actually worked for you at some point? After all, you are the biggest employee of migrant labour. And that kind of derails Seamus a little. Legend bids him a good night and leaves, and we get a close-up of Seamus. Yeah, yeah, we already know he knows more than he's telling, but it's fairly screaming out, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy. <laughs> right, we cut to the kitchen, uh, Ramos is there, cleaning some of the uh, pots and pans, and in walks Maria. We may learn what she's been up to. Mashburn saw you in town with your friends. Why do you let him in your room? That's none of your business. It is. I do what I have to do to survive. Many who have come across the border haven't. Right, we've got a name now for the mysterious stranger. Mashburn. It seems that uh, he didn't leave town as he was supposed to. He spent some time with Maria and told her that they know who Ramos is. At least who he isn't. Maria also points out that Ramos doesn't know anything about how her life has been. How most Mexican lives have been. He's never had to beg for food. She said earlier that he's different, he is different, he's educated, he's had a good life, he's had a life that everybody deserves. It's at this point that the door opens and Seamus walks in. A dark clothed figure, very ominous, walks up to Ramos, gives him a coin, basically fires him. Very polite, very civilised. Ramos gives a coin to Maria as he walks out the door. Seamus walks up, picks a coin up very possessively touches Maria's cheek and says if he comes back you'll tell me won't you? Si senor. And then he laughs which made you wonder what other sort of liberties he's willing to take with his female staff. Maria may, has made it plain she wants to stay in America she'll do what she has to to survive. Unfortunately the people in power take advantage of that. Okay then. Getting to be a rather dark story this isn't it. Back with Ernest and the professor they're in a church, they're talking to a priest, he's explaining about uh, his religion, identifies the fact that one of his young men had a ring like this. Professor remarks that it's a bit unusual that Seamus actually gave him the location of where the ring came from. He uh, points out that this bit of information they might have figured out anyway, so Seamus got no reason to lie about it, it just makes him look a bit more suspicious if he had done. Felipe, the young man of the village who went north looking for some of the stolen artefacts, beginning to look like that is his body that they found. The priest then leads them to uh, an old woman who's sitting under the shade of a tree and introduces them to Felipe's mother. The priest hands her the ring, she looks down and collapses into tears. Ramos approaches very diffidently, promises that 
her son's death will be avenged and she gives him the ring to wear puts it on his finger and full of purpose he turns and walks away man on a mission i can see what must be done now and i must do it alone ramos those are the kind of words i write for a character just before i kill him off they don't sound so good coming out of you he knows where the artifacts that were stolen from the village are he knows who was responsible good idea who was responsible for the death of felipe yep Calhoun had better watch out. As the three of them walk from the church, Ramos notices some cigarette stubs, cigar stubs, on the ground. The same type that Mashburn smokes. He sees men in the distance and calls out just as the bullets start flying. Unfortunately, <laughs> nobody's really very well armed. They've got the taser, unfortunately it hasn't been charged. Ramos, though, makes run for the balloon and he gets there. Uses the uh, EMP weapon, sends a few shots down, knocks a few men out, manages to get the balloon over to where Professor and Ernest are hiding. They get on board, the music kicks off. Of course he made it. I trained him. And they sail away to safety. Very nice set piece. Later, on a dark and stormy night, have you ever noticed how often it's thunder and lightning around the Professor's? I think he built his laboratory there for that very reason. Anyhow, the three of them are brainstorming. They know they haven't got enough evidence to have a go at Mashburn, and by extension, Seamus. But Ernest is convinced time will come, they will get him. He promises Ramos that very thing. He points out that Maria is a key to everything. She knows Mashburn, she knows Seamus, she knows a lot. Just got to convince her that it's in their best interest to talk. Ernest, though, isn't too optimistic about that either. But tomorrow's another day. Not surprising, Ramos can't sit still and do nothing. He goes to Maria's, waits for her to return, and makes a plea once again to do what's right by Felipe, a name she does recognise. She admits that she was there that night when Felipe was caught, and Calhoun told his men to take him into the hills and kill him. Ramos, of course, pleads with her to go to the sheriff, but come on, we know that that ain't going to help any matters. That isn't going to help at all. At that point, some of Seamus' men comes in and off Ramos goes to meet uh, the same fate as Felipe. And Maria, who knows what's good for her, keep quiet. And the next morning, Ernest and the Professor having morning tea, talking about bad dreams, when Maria comes riding up, yelling that they're going to kill him, kill Ramos. Mr. Legend, Mr. Legend, they're taking Wishily Postly, they are going to kill him. Of course, the two guys rush to get their kit and ride to the rescue. And by ride, I mean the steam-powered car, which really is not an all-terrain purpose vehicle. A horse is so much better and so much more practical for these conditions and terrain. But never mind, they stop in the middle of nowhere. Ernest whips out his spyglass and spots the bad guys in the distance. You know, I'm not sure you could call this a high-speed pursuit, but either way, the boys get ahead of the wagon, pull a 180, the wagon stops, they're facing each other down the highway. It looks like a game, gonna be a game of chicken. Who's gonna blink first? Right, they're going hell for leather towards each other. The professor's having a hell of a job keeping his car and an even keel. The steering isn't exactly smooth and straightforward. Tracks all over the place. Ernest has got the taser. Why the professor gave it to him? Because he then goes and tells him he can't use it, otherwise the driver may lose control and the wagon go off the cliff. So, uh, why? <laughs> And I didn't see a cliff anywhere near about Go rushing towards each other. Bullets are fired, nearly hitting both of them. And then they pass each other. 
quick 180 and they're in pursuit of the wagon that is now out of control because Ramos is not one to sit idly by. He lunged for the driver, pulled him backwards and the wagon is now out of control, heading towards, I suspect that same canyon. Oh, fantastic. Ernest leaped from the car onto the wagon in the manner of Indiana Jones. Bravo. <laughs> and this is just getting even better. The professor fires a taser, takes out the driver, he falls off the wagon. Ernest is being pulled along, being splayed everywhere, just like Indiana Jones. He climbs up onto the tailgate, climbs up onto the bookboard, and then leaps, yes, leaps onto one of the horses to rein it in before they go over the cliff. Classic stunt work, classic action, fantastic. And they start with feet to spare. I uh, hope Ernest has got some liniment because parts of him are going to be really sore in the morning. The next day dawns, Ramos and Maria are going to take the bookboard and return the body of Raphael to his mother. And maybe, just maybe, a little romance between the two of them. They certainly played on that through the episode, and Ramos being the hero of this story. He bids farewell to the two of them, uh, gives Ernest a compliment. His, his writing is getting better. <laughs> uh, you can take that good or bad. It depends how well you thought he wrote in the first place. And as Ramos rides off into the sunset, the Professor and Ernest wave. Wave goodbye, not only to Ramos, but to the show itself. Well, he's right, you know. They are getting better. Ever since you came here. That was the last episode of Legend, Skeletons in the Closet. And I'm delighted they gave Ramos a story. Like I said, I don't know if this was always planned, whether it was going to be the mid-season finale. Of course, back then, <laughs> no such thing as a mid-season finale. It might have been a half-season pick-up show, or uh, just a fill the time slot. Either way, though, we got some fun. Fun along the way, Richard Dean Anderson and John Delancey were both fantastic in this series. Some nice writing, some nice special effects. Dated, obviously, but pretty good for the time. Of course, it led to uh, much better things for both the actors. It's been a pleasure watching the show. I'm not sure if it's available on any streaming services, but I picked up the DVD fairly cheaply. So why not give it a go? If you like Richard Dean Anderson, if you like John Delancey, if you watch Briscoe County Junior, The Adventures Of, this is along similar lines. Uh, if you like that, you'll like this as well. Right then, so next time, I think we'll be going back to Stargate. I've got the idea that a few episodes of the Gatecast I was not involved with, except to edit. There's a few episodes that I was busy, or just, I don't know. But anyway, they were good episodes, and I've never actually done them for the podcast. So I might actually re-record them with a the guest. I've asked somebody if they'd be interested in helping me out. Schedule-wise, we've got to work out. So uh, next time on the Stargate Archives, Stargate. Who knew? Right then, if you want to be on the show, I'd love to hear from you. If you just want to get in touch, stargatearchives.com. Email stargatearchives at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, of course, and Tumblr. Just do a search for The Gatecast. We're also on Twitter, at The Gatecast, which is one word. Our preferred social media outlet. Always busy on there with lots of Stargate. Lots of Stargate podcasts now, if you do a search in iTunes or other podcast app. Speaking of which, we are on iTunes, we're also on Stitcher, TuneIn, Amazon Music, 
and of course YouTube Music, which used to be Google Play. Also manual RSS feeds that you can add to any podcatcher. So if you want to listen to us, you'll find us all over the place. As I said, thank you for joining me for this look at Legend. Keep listening for more Stargate. I don't know if uh, the frequency of releases is going to get any faster, but you never know. Time will tell. This is Mike. Thank you for listening. Hope you tune in in the future. But until then, take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>